I'm going to, are we good yet? Uh, I would ask you to open to 2 Kings, going old school, Old Testament on you. Oh, 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. We're going to start reading down by verse number uh, 3. 2 Kings 22, verse number 3. Here's what the Bible says here. The Bible is talking now, it's kind of the decline of the nation of Israel. It's really the decline of the southern kingdom, Judah. One of their last great kings, Josiah, is coming into power. And it says in verse 3, And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the, keepers, uh, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to, to repair the breaches of the house unto carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house." Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand, because they dealt faithfully. So they're building up the house. The temple has been broken down, and they've kind of sent the crew in there, and they're starting to get it fixed up. And verse number 8 is a really interesting verse that says, And Hilkiah the high priest, he would have had the like you know ministry in the temple, And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now, doesn't that seem weird to you? (laughs) Doesn't that seem strange to you? It should seem a little scary to you. I mean, it seems pretty scary to think that you can lose the Bible in the house of the Lord. (laughs) You might lose it in your car. You might forget which room you put it in. But this is like where the Word of God was supposed to be paramount. They're, you know, turning over broken asphalt and fixing mortar and all this stuff and, you know, repairing gold cherubims over here. I don't know what they're doing. And they say, oh, what's this? They say, oh, I found the Bible in the temple. And you know what this is an account of? This is about the downfall of Israel. It's about the downfall of the nation. And the downfall of Israel, you say, why did God put the demise, the destruction, the downfall of Israel in the Bible? He put it there for our admonition. He put it for our warning. He put it for our counsel. He put it as a caution to us. Amen? Because like the nation of Israel, dear brethren, our nation has lost the Bible we once loved. We used to be a real Bible nation. I don't know if that's true anymore. I hope it could be. I hope it is. And also, like the children of Israel, like those Israelites, guess what? The church has left the Bible we once lived by. Used to be thus saith the Lord. Now it's like all this other stuff, you know, is what people turn to for help and solace. And and like that high priest, right? Like that high priest in the temple, a believer priest, because you're a priest by faith in Jesus Christ. You have access to God. Like that priest in the temple, a believer priest today can lose the Bible when your house is broken. And I don't mean like your physical house. I mean like when this walk with God starts falling apart, guess what you tend to lose? You tend to lose the Bible. What happens when that happens? What happens when you lose the Bible? I don't mean you forget it 
or you misplace it. I mean when you stop reading it, when you stop learning it, when you stop caring about what it says, what happens? So we've been looking around a lot at discipleship and We've been looking around a lot about serving Jesus Christ. We've been talking about rewards. We've been talking about consecration. We've been talking about all these things that are important. But I want to talk to you today about in that talk, in that subject we've been on, what happens when you lose the Bible? That's the question. That's the title. When you lose the Bible. I don't mean you forgot it. I don't mean you misplaced it. It's no longer the word of God to you. It's no longer your final authority. You couldn't give up what it says. We can all get there when we're not careful. Let's pray and let's see what happens. We've got a lot of stops to make, so let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this caution, Lord. Thank you for this beautiful day, Lord. Thank you for the singing and the musicians. Lord, thank you for the equipment you've given us, Lord, the space you've given us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus Christ that still has that power, Lord. Thank you for my brethren here today, Father, some traveling, some not here. Lord, but I pray for those that are here and those that are listening. Help us, Lord, to cling to this Bible. Help us not to throw it overboard like everyone else's. Help us to be a Bible-first church in this first Bible church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to 2 Timothy, way back. We got about seven stops here. All right, seven quick stops. I'm going to give you seven things you lose when you lose the Bible. I'm not going to spend any time on any one of them too long. I was... Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I was reading a, a book and the guy touched on some of these. I said, wow, that's really couldn't get out of my mind. And I said, let's turn that into a message there. 2 Timothy 3, look at verse 16. Here's the first thing. When you lose the Bible, that's the title, right? When you lose the Bible, here's the first thing. When you lose the Bible, you lose your furnishings. You lose the supplies. You lose the provision. You lose all the stuff that's in your house. That's supposed to be there when you live there. 2 Timothy 3.16, the Bible says, all scripture, I've got it in my hands right now, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, what does it say right there? For doctrine, that's what you know about God. For proof, that's when God's got to steer you right again about what you're doing. For correction about what you think. For instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect Truly furnished unto all good works. You know what the Bible does? The Word of God furnishes the believer from the inside out. It's like when you bought your new home, right? When you buy a new home, it's usually, usually empty, right? It's usually empty. And then with time and with effort and with a few credit card bills, guess what? Your house gets furnished. You start getting some nice things over here. You save up for a nice thing over there. You get the bedroom set. You get the dining room set. And then you get a whole bunch of other debt that goes with it and all that stuff. Hopefully not. Hopefully you're wiser than that. But you know what? When you got saved, brethren, you know what it's like? It's like you got a new house. It's like you got a new thing that you can live in. And you know what? It starts out pretty empty. You're saved, amen. You got that new house. But there's not a lot of furnishings in there. But you know what happens? With time with that other four-letter curse word work. You know what happens? This book starts furnishing you. And the Word of God, the Bible, starts putting things in your house from the inside out. It starts furnishing you with some good works. 
You start getting some victory. You start getting some joy. You start getting some peace. You start feeling that rock that you could stand on. You start losing words in your vocabulary. Your face gets cleaned up. Your body gets cleaned up. Your habits get cleaned up. Your walk gets cleaned up. And people look at you six months down the road and they say, what happened to you? Because nothing may be changed on the outside, but that Bible's been putting all these things on the inside and now it's a new life. It's a new life you've got. You like that new life? Don't ever think for one second that those furnishings are there because of you. Don't ever think for one iota of a second that all the victory and the joy, and wow, I'm an upstanding citizen now. People look at me different. Don't think for one second that you got what you got because of some divine spark that lives inside of you and nobody else. It was the book. It was the book. It is the book. It's that Bible putting those furnishings in you. But you know what happens? Go to 2 Kings chapter 20. You know what happens? I know what happens because I'm watching it happen now. People start to arrive at a little bit of victory, a little bit of stability. You know what? They forget what got them there. And you start to look at your house and you say, wow, this is nice. I like this, this couch over here and I like my new kitchen over there. And, you th- and I mean that spiritually, right? Those, and you think for one second that your hand has wrought these things. And the word of God has made you the person that's halfway decent now. And you forget the Bible. You know what happens when you lose the Bible? You know what's going to happen? The enemy's going to come and repossess all those good works. The repo man is going to come and he's going to take back all those good things you enjoyed. Watch the peace dissipate and turn to anger. Watch the joy go away and turn to frustration. Watch the solace that you had turned into fright and anxiety and fear. Watch it happen. I don't want to see it happen, but watch it happen when you lose the Bible. In 2 Kings chapter 20, I love you. That's why I'm warning you today. 2 Kings 20 is about a good king, King Hezekiah, right? Heard about King Hezekiah? King Hezekiah was a great king. But like us, he made a dope to mistake, right? In 2 Kings 20, he's been sick and he gets healed. You know what happens when he gets healed? Right after he gets healed, he does a really dumb thing. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 12. At that time, Berodak Baladan, I think that's how you say his name, the son of Baladan, sure, keep it in the family, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah, the prophet, unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, Psst, everybody come over here. What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, well, they are come from a far country, even from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, all the things that are in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. And Hezekiah said unto, and Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. That's a scary moment. God healed Hezekiah. Has God healed your soul? 
Amen? Yes, he has. Can I say that again? Has God healed your soul? Amen. Okay, well, you know what Hezekiah did, which a lot of us do? He forgot where his blessings came from. Look at my treasures. Look at my house. And the prophet said, you're going to lose it all. The enemy's going to come and take it all away. Have you forgotten where all your blessings come from? Where all your furnishings come from? Where all your treasures come from? Where any good works that are in your life? What is it sprung from? It sprung from the seed of the Word of God in your soil. Don't think for one second that you could just close the Bible and just keep on going like everything's okay. You're going to lose something, friend. You're going to lose something. You're going to lose your furnishings. Go to 1 Thessalonians 2. Let me tell you something else you could lose. 1 Thessalonians 2. Number 2. I'm hurrying. 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. Look at verse number 13. You know the second thing you lose is? When you lose the Bible, you lose God's work in your life. When you lose the Bible, you lose God's work and God's workings in your life. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul is rejoicing and he says, For this calls also, thank we God, without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Brethren, when you believe and receive this book, when you let it into your heart and when you let it into your life, you know what it does? God starts working. This book starts taking effect. I don't know how it happens. If you could explain it, God didn't do it. I don't know how it happens, but you read this Bible every day and it makes you different. You don't read the Bible for seven days and it makes one week. (laughs) You spell it however you want. But listen, man. We got these new lights, right? You see in the corner, we got these new lights. We got these new spotlights over here. We don't have all these lights and all these wires and stuff like that. You know, we got these new lights. Can I tell you, they don't take effect without power, right? They don't work without power. We set them up. I stared at them. I said, wow, that cost us a lot of money. But I had to plug it into the power source for them to work. For this to take effect, now that I looked right at them, I'm seeing spots, but okay. But you know what? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there is power. Hey, do you have a King James Bible in your lap? Right? I've got the word of a king in front of me. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 22? He said, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. The Bible you hold in your hand, that word of a king that's been decreed and preserved from heaven above, that is the power of God in your life. I disconnect these lights from the power source and they stop working. It goes dark. And my dear brethren, you unplug from God's word You let one day go by, one week go by, two weeks go by, one month go by. Can I tell you what's going to happen? You know what happens? The lights go out. And suddenly God isn't working in your life like he did before. I take no pleasure in saying it, but that's the truth. You know what? We're in in lawn time. We're in lawn season, so you're going to get all those lawn analogies. You You put the weed and feed down, right? And it takes effect. See some of you twitching. It takes effect when you put it in the ground. 
But you quit one season, you know what happens? Those weeds are going to come back. And they may come back with a vengeance. Right? They may come back and overrun your little garden. You might have looked at your lawn and your garden the year before and said, oh, look how good. But you stop putting into that soil what works to keep that stuff at bay. It's not going to work if you don't put it in there anymore. You know what's going to happen? That beautiful little pasture, that beautiful little garden, that beautiful little lawn that you stand back and sit there and look at afterwards when it's done. You say, oh, it looks so nice. You know what's going to happen? It's going to get overrun. When you lose the Bible, you're going to get overrun. You're going to lose God's work in your life because that's the only thing that's staving off all those things that are going to try to destroy you. Let's go to John chapter 14. Let me give you another one. Are, we, are you with me so far? Are we doing okay so far? And John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Let me give you another thing you lose. John chapter 14. Look at verse number 23. Can I tell you when you lose the Bible... You lose your love for God. When you lose the Bible, you lose your love for God. John 14, 23, don't take my word for it. Just let's listen to the Savior. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. He, and, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. You know what Jesus Christ is plainly declaring there? I don't even think I need to explain it. He's telling them, you can't love God without the word of God. It's just that simple. I know you got that feeling when you look at a sunset and you start singing, oh, how I love Jesus. But you know what? That's only there because you've got some Bible in your heart to let you know who's out there. Right, The Bible is the way that you love God and show your love for God. Because listen, this is, this is not deep stuff. If the foundation of a relationship is communication, how can you love someone you never talk to? And that never talks to you. How can you say, not that you would say it, but maybe people that I roll with would say it. How can you say you love Shakespeare without loving his words? Right, Because his words reveal his mind his heart, his character. You know what I like to do? And I, I need to find more space to do it. I love listening to my wife's voice. I love just sitting around or taking a walk or laying there in bed and just talking to each other and hearing her talk to me. I really do enjoy it. Maybe she doesn't believe me. I think she does. But I really enjoy hearing her mind, her heart, because her words reveal her character. You know, somebody said one time, the Bible is God's love letter to imperfect people so we might embrace his perfect, lavish love. How do you know God's mind? How do you know God's heart? How do you know God's character if not through the Bible that is his expression of himself? That's how you know him today, not by staring at a sunset. And not by going out by the river and just fishing. You know, that's not how you do it. Or just by taking that week off and just, I'm going to just rest today. That's not how you get it. You get it by plugging into the word of God and learning it. That's how you learn about God. That's how you love him. Somebody said the Bible is the only book where the author is in love with the reader. Isn't that amazing? Somebody said the more you read the Bible, the more you'll love the author. Isn't that the truth? But man, you look at verse 23, when you lose your relationship with the Bible, 
you lose your relationship with the Lord. You know, you can be related to someone and have no relationship with him. I'm sure there's people on the planet that you're physically related to that you have very little relationship with. You don't talk to them. They might not even know you exist. You might not even know they exist. You know, you can be related to God. You could be saved. I want to know, how's your relationship with God? Is there some communication going on? Is there some growth there? Is there some intimacy there? It's only going to come through the Word of God, people. That's how you're going to open up this face of God and see what He thinks and what He wants. Go to 1 John chapter 4. Let me tell you another tragic thing about love that gets lost. 1 John chapter 4. Making sense so far? I'm trying simple message, simple message. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. I couldn't get it out of my head. 1 John 4, 19. You know what else happens? Watch this. Follow me now. When you lose your love for God, I'll take it back one step. When you lose the Bible, you lose your love for God. And when you lose your love for God, you lose your love for God's people. Write that one down. Because you could bank on that. You see 1 John 4.19? Bible says 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. Amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord. I'm glad he loved me first to show me what love was. When I was unlovable, he loved me. You don't clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus to clean yourself up, right? You come to Christ because he loved you when you were unlovable. And we love him because he first loved us. But keep reading. If a man say, I love God... And hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? (laughs) And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. You see it all the time. You see it all the time. Somebody close that Bible and you see them change. They get hard, they get distant, they get detached, they get unsympathetic, they get uncaring, they get callous, they get cruel. You know what happens when you lose the Bible and you lose your love for God, you start to lose your love for people, and you know what weed grows up in its place? All you start loving is your stinking self. My feelings, what I think, what I want, how I see it, my comfort, my, 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 me, 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 right? It's all about you. What keeps that back? The Word of God teaches you how to love. You can't love without this book, and you can't love people without this book the right way. You know, you read through the history of the church in the book of Revelation 2 and 3, and the first church is the church of Ephesus, right? means fully purposed. That's what Ephesus was. The first church, fully purposed. I would like to be like a church at Ephesus. They had sound doctrine. They were a teaching church. They were a mature church. We're only here a few years, but I'd like to get to that place. I know we're not there yet, but I'd like to get to that place. But you know what Jesus Christ said to that fully purposed church, which was a pretty good church that you and I might aspire to be like? He said, hey guys, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Let's never leave our first love, first Bible church. We better keep loving this book because that should be our first love because that's how you love God and how you learn of his love for you. And when you lose that, you lose a lot. 
Let's go to the next one. Go to John chapter 4. Let me tell you something else. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Can I tell you something else? When you lose the Bible, you know what else you lose? What I say, I say you lose your furnishings. You lose God's work in your life. You lose your love for God. And when you lose the Bible, you lose your worship. You lose your worship. Doesn't you, don't you want to worship God this morning? I don't mean the song service. I just mean like that. You know what worship is? Worship is an act of adoration between you and your God. It's an attitude of heart that's built on sacrifice. Hey, Lord, you're so good. I want to give you something in return. I want to give you something to bless. A lot of people come to church to get something. A mature believer comes to church to give something. Right? I'm going to give you my praise today, Lord. I'm going to give you my presence today. I'm going to give you my joy. I'm going to give you a sacrifice of praise because my heart's broken and I don't feel like thanking you, but I'm going to thank you anyway. And that's why it's called the sacrifice. Right? I want to give you something to God. I want to bless you. You know what? The first mention of worship in your Bible is Genesis 22, verse 5. And you know what it's talking about? It's talking about a father named Abraham sacrificing his only begotten son named Isaac. Sacrifice is at the heart of worship. But in John chapter 4, verse number 19, Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. You know what this Samaritan woman, she's a lot like a lot of folks I meet. She's got all kinds of ideas about worship. All kinds of ideas about how we get to God and praise God and honor God and worship God. Look at some of them right here. John 4, 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir... I perceive that thou art a prophet, speaking to Jesus Christ. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She's all over the map. We think you should worship over here. We think you should worship over there. We think you should have a church like this. We think the chair should be set up like that. We think the light should be like this. We think people should be like that. We think you should preach for this long. You think you should preach for that long. Right? Everybody's got all kinds of ideas about worship. Whatever that means. <laughs> I get all kinds of phone calls because we put a lot of literature out. We put a lot of stuff out by the grace of God. And uh, I got a call a few weeks ago. One person called. They wanted to know about our music program. Do you have a choir? I wanted to be like, yeah, I look at them every Sunday morning. They're sitting right there. Right? They're tuned up. <laughs> I got the tenors, the altos, right? The sopranos over there. There's the bass in the back, right? I got that. Okay. And then I got one this week, which she didn't even let me call her back, which is probably good because it would have probably been bad. I would have been way too salty. But she called up all good. You know, I'm so happy. I got this bag on the door. I got to ask you one question, and that's going to determine everything. I want to know, what involvement do women have in your ministry? That's going to determine everything. I said, okay, I'll, I'll call her back. And Before I call her back, don't bother calling me back. I don't even want to talk to you. I said, wow, that must have been a great conversation you had with someone because I don't know who you talked to. But she, I don't know, she saw something else in the Bible. But you know what? Nobody ever calls up and says, do you guys have the Bible there? What do you think about the Bible? How do, what do you believe about the Bible? It's always the music, the ministry, the programs, the this, the that. That's not Bible worship. You know what Jesus Christ in verse 21 tells this lady? He very gently sets her straight. He says in verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, I probably would have started that way. That's why I didn't start the fifth of all. Woman, believe me. Can you just see him looking at it? Woman, believe, believe me. The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain 
nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh, right? He's talking about the hour he'll be crucified and delivered up. The hour cometh and now is, because it was on, upon him, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know what Jesus Christ tells this lady? True worship is according to God's truth. And the truth, Jesus said, is God's word. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So you really want to know what God wants? You better get in that book and find out. That's how you worship God. You ever, some, ever have somebody give you a Christmas gift you did not want? Right? That wasn't on my list. That wasn't even on the first draft of my list. Or the third draft. That wasn't even like a, a thought of my, I mean, did I write it? Up? No, I can't. Even if you took the letters of all my gifts, it doesn't spell what you got me. Right? And sometimes people, I'm bringing some to God. I'm bringing some to God. Listen, man, I don't mean this the wrong way, but this is the God of the Bible. You can't just give God whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want it. You know this is God we're talking about, right? God said in the Old Testament, you come one way to me. God says right now, you come one way to me through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. That's how you come to me. And if you're going to worship the God of the Bible, you got to worship the Bible way. And you know where that has to start? It has to start where the Bible starts with worship, the sacrifice of a father giving his only begotten son. That's where the Bible starts with worship. That's where you got to start with worship. You got to start with that Jesus Christ that died in your place. But when you lose the Bible, man, you lose true worship. Because you know what happens? You lose sight of what God wants. You start to think it's all about your heart. You think it's all about your feelings. Can I tell you, God says, I want you to worship in spirit. That's your heart. Right, not the clothes you wore or the building you walked into. or whatever. Your heart, he's after your heart. And in truth, that's the word. That's what God's looking at. Your heart and the word of God applied to your heart. But can I tell you what happens when the Bible goes? You want a little preview? I'll tell you. Lean in real close. When the Bible goes, you know what's going to go when the Bible goes? Godly music goes. Goes right out the door. The worship service. And the worship team comes up and it starts to become about ambiance and atmosphere and just a feeling of worship. Well, right, just, it just becomes all about smoke. I mean, if I want to do it, I just get the trap door up here. We get the lights going. I'll get Mike Colleen. We'll get one of those spinning balls and some smoke and we'll dim the lights real dark. We'll blacken everything out and we'll just say, come now is the time. And we'll just start rocking back and forth and say, oh man, oh, what a spirit of worship. And God is nowhere near any of that. Because a godly song, and I'm not hating every song that's out there, but a godly music is supposed to move your heart, not your hips, okay? If it moves your hips, and if you just took the word Jesus out, and it could be on the radio, and you wouldn't know twice, then I don't know if it's a godly song. Does it talk about the blood? Does it talk about the Savior? Does it talk about biblical doctrines that, you know, the Bible says to sing with the understanding, right? That's what the Bible says. You know what else happens? When you lose the Bible, you know what else you lose? 
you lose your assembling with the saints. Listen, I'm not an expert, but I'm also not a novice. I know that when this book closes, I can all set my watch to how long you're going to be in church after that book closes. Because you close that book, and you've pretty much punched your ticket to not start coming anymore. Oh, no, that's not going to happen to me. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll put you on my list of exceptions. There's nobody on there yet, but we'll just, we'll just put you on that list, right? It starts to become one, two, skip a few. Ah, maybe I'll miss this one. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And you know what happens? Hey, brother, where you been? Hey, sister, where you been? Well, God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. That's why you need to be in church. <laughs> and you know what? For all those people, they say, well, I can worship God wherever I want. No, you can't. You need an altar. You need Jesus Christ, right? You, you got to do it God's way. I'm not saying we need this building. We're going to meet in a park in a few weeks. You know what? We're going to worship out there. We got brethren in Haiti. I got videos. They're worshiping in fields. They're worshiping parks in Mexico. Hey, you don't need a place, but you know what you need? You need that sacrifice. You need to bring what God says to bring. But when you lose the Bible, it just becomes, hey, man, this is how I feel. This is what I think. Okay. But if you know God's heart and you keep following your own heart, are you really worshiping God? Yes, sir. Hmm. You think about that. Let's go, to, let's go to John 15. Let's go to another one. John 15. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I don't have anybody in mind, but I'm just trying to be a loving warning right now. Let's not lose this Bible. First Bible church, if that is our name that we put on a sign. Let me give you another thing. I got a few more quick ones. I'm hurrying here. Hurrying here. I know the pizza's in the oven. Uh, Hopefully you didn't leave it on while you left the house. But when you lose the Bible, let me give you one more. When you lose the Bible, you lose your power in prayer. How many people here want to get their prayers answered? What is the use of praying if you don't get your prayers answered? Well, John 15, 7, I'm going to let Jesus speak again. I'm not going to misquote him here. John 15, 7, Jesus Christ says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Am I twisting anything there? (laughs) Jesus Christ points to the connection between his words and answered prayer. Go to 1 John. Let me give you another great prayer promise. 1 John. This one has made my favorite prayer promise in the Bible. 1 John chapter 5. I really like this one. You're praying about something? Hold on to this one. Even when you don't see the answer in your time, God's got it. 1 John 5. Look at verse number 14. First John, and we've been having a great time on those prayer meetings on Tuesday night, man. It's becoming like a real great thing in our church. I hope you can ever plug in uh, to it. First John five fourteen, the Bible says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You know, we were praying for a a brother and a son to get a witness yesterday. Pat, right? You know, we've been praying for that young man, that gentleman, for a long time. Guess what? Marie shoots me this text. We're praying. We're we're witnessing to him right now. I almost dropped my phone. I said, quick, quick, quick. You know what? But we prayed according to God's will. And in time... 
Chris said, the door went, the door swung open. And he had the whole family's getting it. Dad's on the phone, I heard. You know, mom and it was just like a family affair over there. That's exciting, isn't it? We're praying about a rescue mission. The guys got there at 7.30 in the morning. Krusty's in the eye. They walk in there. They don't know what's going to happen. Boom. They're all texting me and calling me up. This was amazing. This was unbelievable. It was such a huge over. We prayed according to God's will. We're like praying for Peter to get out of prison. And all of a sudden, he's knocking at the door. And we're like, it must be, it must be crazy. He couldn't have answered our prayer. Rhoda, go back to the, to the waitressing, you know. No, no, no. Guys, we could be confident. Aren't you glad that if you're praying for something God wants, you could be confident he's going to answer that prayer according to his will? That gives me blessing. That gives me hope. But how can you possibly be confident if you don't know God's will? How can you be confident in prayer if you don't know if you're anywhere where God is? And if you're anywhere where God wants, God, I just want that Mercedes. Oh, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. I need to give mama that Mercedes. Well, right, you know, you know, put the music on. Here we go. <laughs> no. You only find out about God's will from God's words. Right? God's will. You know what a will is? A will is a written document that expresses the desire of the author. You know what God's word is? It is a written document that expresses God's desire. You've got God's will in your hands, in God's word. You want to be confident in prayer? Make sure it's lining up with this. If it's lining up with this, it's going to be confident that you're going to get it. You know, George Mueller. George Mueller is maybe the greatest prayer warrior of the modern era. He was a you know, 19th century preacher, missionary, minister, uh, Prussian-born, opened all these orphanages in Bristol, England, led thousands to Christ, prayed in millions of dollars, opened all these homes, trained missionaries, put out tracts. He did all these. People would come far and wide to see George Mueller pray and learn the secret of George Mueller's prayer. And you know what George Mueller said? He read the Bible almost too hundred times. You think it's a, it's a coinkadink that he got his prayers answered and he read the Bible almost 200 times? All oh, 100 of those readings were on his knees. You think why a man who had such esteem for the word of God got so many prayers through? You think there's some connection there, folks? Come on. You know what George Mueller said when he talked about how to nourish his prayer and strengthen his inner man? He said, quote, I saw that the most important thing I had to do was dim the lights and put on some music to set the mood for my prayer time. Oh, no, that's not what he said. He said, I saw that the most important thing was I had to tell everybody my prayer requests and just hide them, which they were really just gossip, but I was putting them as prayer requests. Oh, no, that's not what he said either. He said, I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word of God and to meditation on it. I got my mind, he said, I get my mind fixed on the word, on the promises of God, on the confidence I can have in God, on the will of God. And then he said, the prayer was easy after that. Once I got my heart right, it was easy after that. Somebody came to watch him pray. He just boop, bowed his head. It was a few seconds and they said, that's it? That's it? He said, yeah, that's it. Did have to be this long thing. I thank thee, Father, that thou art Lord of heaven and earth, and thou madest the waves and the sea and the twi- twinkling birds up there in the sky that fly overhead in the sky and the firmament which thou hast ordained. No, if your heart is right because it's been marinated and saturated with the word of God, you ask what you will. 
and it'll probably be the right thing to ask because it's coming from a heart that's abiding in God's word like a man like George Mueller. But sadly, when you lose the Bible, you know what you lose? You lose your prayer life. I've yet to met someone that says, I haven't read my Bible in six months, but I'm praying an hour a day. I haven't met that person yet. If that's you, please come forward at the end of the service. I want to shake your hand because they just seem to be connected. And listen, this is not deep stuff. If you're not interested in what I have to say, how interested am I going to be in what you have to say to me? Right? And if you have no interest in what God has to say, you think you're just going to snap your fingers and God's going, oh, oh, they're praying now. I better answer it. You know, he'll answer it. It might just be no. It might just be wait. But he's looking for those people that are looking for him. Amen. Amen. Let me give you another one. Go to Jeremiah chapter one. I'm, I'm hurrying. I got two more quick ones. Then we're done. I know some of you are keeping notes. Some of you are watching your clock. You got me on a stopwatch. I got it. Um, Jeremiah chapter one. It's okay. I'm going back to school tomorrow. I know how to live to the bell. Um, Jeremiah one. You know, when you lose your Bible, when you lose the Bible, I got two more quick ones. When you lose the Bible, you lose your power in preaching. When you lose the Bible, you don't just lose your power in prayer. You lose your power in preaching. You know, the phrase, thus saith the Lord, appears 413 times in your Bible. That Bible is what God says. And that's why this book we call our Bible is the biggest deal of all because it is thus saith the Lord. Like Danny likes to finish his preaching messages on the street. Thus saith the Lord because the only reason a message has any merit is because of the words of the living God. Because God said so. Yeah, that's why. Why do you do that? Because God says so. Why do you think that? Because God said so. But what about, I don't know, that's what God said. Take it or leave it. That's what God said. He's God. That's why there's oomph. That's why there's power. You ever watch a preacher that's got no power? It's just like, I feel bad for the people that have to sit there. Now, not everybody has to be an animated lunatic like I am. I just, I just, I don't know what happens. I just open this Bible up and I feel like I could run a marathon. But you could have somebody talk quietly. And there just could be power in what they're saying. You can know it. The ear trieth words as the mouth tasteth meat. You could tell. Would you listen to somebody just, and today, dearly beloved, let us turn in our reading for the day. And today we're going to read from, um, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, and just like, yeah. Uh, okay, it's time for bingo. You know, it's, like, it's just like, Where is the power over here, man? The power. I read about the guys like Billy Sunday. I read about the guys like uh, uh, Hudson Taylor. I read about the guys like Mordecai Ham. I read about guys like Sam Jones. I read about guys like uh, Bob Jones Sr. These guys would tear the paint off the walls. You think I get animated? They could be quiet and the Holy Ghost was so on them that the whole towns would shut down. They'd shut the liquor stores down in the town because a revival came through and a guy started preaching and they'd shut the bar down. Why? Because the Holy Spirit through that word was so palpable and so tangible. There was power in the message. But everything outside of God's infallible standard, you know what it is? It's a glorified opinion. Wherever it comes from, it's a glorified opinion. And we all have opinions. 
Listen, let me tell you what to do. You don't have to do it now. You can do this at home. If you have an opinion about me, about church, about life, about anything, here's what I want you to do. You raise your hand and put it over your mouth. That's what you do if you have an opinion. I appreciate it. Thank you for it. But yours is as good as mine. It's not the word of God. But if you have something from God's word, here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand to your mouth and lift up your voice. Because that's what we need to declare. What God has said. And in Jeremiah 1, that's what God told the prophet. See Jeremiah 1, 8. He said to them, be not afraid of their faces. I'm glad these lights are strong because I can't really see your faces. Be not afraid of their faces. For I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, that's one, and to pull down, that's two, and to destroy, that's three, and to throw down, that's four, and to build, that's five, and to plant, that's six. God says, hey, preacher, hey, Jeremiah, you declare my words, and don't worry about the results. Just declare my words. Because listen, man, if all Jeremiah had were opinions... He wouldn't have been hated so much. They wouldn't have tried to kill him. They tried to kill him. They dropped him in the dungeon. They plotted to destroy him. They tried to do all these things. Why? Because he he wanted to quit a hundred times. I can relate to old Jeremiah. You know why? Because just, he said, they don't want to hear. What am I doing this for? God said, it's my words. Just keep preaching. Just keep preaching. Just keep preaching. And you know, folks, I'll speak for all our elders and all our church here. You come to this church, you fellowship with us, stay as long as you want, leave as fast as you like. It doesn't really matter to me, but we're not going to give you our ideas about anything. We're going to give you what God says about marriage, what God says about life, what God says about eternity, what God says about family, what God says about everything, because that's where the power is. That's the only thing that matters, is what does God say on a thing? I don't claim to have it all perfect. That's why guys correct me, text me. I'm, all, I'm welcome to be corrected, but among our body of elders and the multitude of counselors, we're trying our best to give people what God said and the spirit and the words of this book. We're going to do that We're going to give you what God said because that's where the power is. That's what's really relevant. (laughs) That's the word now. Impactful. (laughs) Relevant. You know what's relevant? What God said. Because what you said in five years will be irrelevant. And if you want to be really accurate, in a hundred years, completely irrelevant. In a hundred years, everything you thought and felt that was contrary to this book is going to be absolutely chaff to the wind. And only thing that's going to stand is forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The Bible stands. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But you see what happens? You see why this room isn't crowded? It's in verse 10. It's right there. Verse 10. We come from a church in Staten Island that's been there 46 years almost. They've never got bigger than the building they've been in. And they've been faithfully declaring the word of God like a house on fire. You say, where are the multitudes? Because the Bible is negative before it's positive. And preaching tends to be negative 
so you can get to what's positive. You see verse 10, he tells him, here's your ministry, Jeremiah. You're going to root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down. Four things. And then build and plant. You see that? And sometimes the preaching of God's word has to get rid of the bad ideas before the good seed can take root. It's kind of like what you do in a field, right? This is going to be my garden. I got to get the rocks out. I got to get the weeds out. I got to get the shangad out. I got to rip it up, turn it up, turn it over, and then it's ready to be planted and seeded to grow. You know what the Word of God does? The Word of God has to come in sometimes like a freight train and rip the stuff out of your mind and heart that's wrong thinking. Why? So God's seed can find good soil. It's always been that way. From the garden. You know what God started with with Adam and Eve? Don't. Don't do it. That's how he started. And the devil came in positive. Yeah. What did God say? Yea, hath God said. Before you grow anything good, you gotta get, got get rid of your bad ideas. You know what the Bible's trying to do? The Bible's just trying to make us better, folks. The Bible's just trying to make you better. But look, you might think it's, oh, he's angry, he's this. He's... No, no, no. The Bible is just trying to make you better. Will you let it make you better? I hope so. Because when you lose it, because if you abandon God's authority and you abandon what God said, can I tell you, folks, your guess is as good as mine. I know, it sounds right, maybe, who knows, let's hope for the best. But you have no power in your message if it's not based on this. And those of you that are saved and you close this Bible, what are you going to tell people? What are you going to give them to help them? It'll be okay. How do you know? It's going to be all right. Really? You deserve better. Why? Why? It's got to be rooted in something God said because this word is really what's going to help. And even if you're upset hearing it, I'm only saying it because I love you and I know this is the only way to get help is here. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth, the psalmist writes. And finally, go to Joshua 1. I'll end on this thought here. On my last point, it's a quick one. Joshua 1. I've given you six things so far that you lose when you lose the Bible, and this is number seven. Joshua 1. Joshua 1. When you lose the Bible, you lose your inheritance. You'll have no success as far as God is concerned. Oh, you might get that raise. Oh, you might get that bigger house. Oh, you might get that this or that. But as far as God is concerned, no success. A wasted inheritance. Joshua 1 is about Israel getting ready to take the land. And that land does not picture heaven. That land is a picture of a place of victory and blessing in your life. It's the inheritance that God has for you that you've got to fight a little bit for. Right? Because they had a fight when they went into the promised land. You don't have to fight to get into heaven. Now, some of you are going to go kicking and screaming, but you don't have to fight to get into heaven. It's a work of God. In Joshua 1, here's what happens. Lord tells Joshua 1.6, Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous. Because you know what, folks? When you have the Bible, it takes courage to do what God said. I don't, you need courage. You know what God says? It takes a little courage to apply the promises and trust that God's going to make it all right when you step out by faith, even though you don't have anything but his promises to cling to. It takes a little bit of courage. 
Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. You know the book they lost in the temple, right? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Verse 9 is a verse I gave my son when he started chemotherapy. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Amen. Before claiming Israel's inheritance, the Lord points Joshua to his word, to his word, to his word, to his word, to his word. You want to get that land? You need the book. You want to overcome those giants? You need the book. You want to inherit all I've got laid up for you? You need the book. Listen, man. Moses, picture of salvation. Moses applied the blood of the lamb. That was Israel's plan of salvation. That was a gift of God. They didn't have to do the work. They had to take the blood of that slain lamb and apply it to their door. And if you're sitting here today and you're like, that guy's crazy, but I'm interested in what that Jesus had to do, guess what? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and we sang a song, Power in the Blood, let me tell you, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's nothing you do to earn that. You just apply that blood the lamb shed 2,000 years ago to your sin and your account. And you know what? That death passes over you and you get eternal life. That was the gift of God. But Joshua is something different. See, Joshua, he's not applying the blood anymore. It's already been applied. Joshua applies not the blood of the lamb, but the book of the Lord. That's not the plan of salvation. That's been accomplished. That that he gave Joshua is the path to success. That's not the gift of God. That's the work that God's children have to do every day to take that book as best as they understand it and apply it to their heart and mind and life and soul. You see the difference? You see, God passed over in Egypt because of the lamb. They're going to pass into the promised land because of their labor. They're going to get those blessings and get that inheritance and get those things because they worked for it, because they fought those giants, because they separated themselves, because they stuck to what God told them to do and the battle plan. You see verse 7 and 8? He says at the end of 7, turn not from it, the book, to the right hand, to the left, that thou mayest prosper. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart. And then he says you'll be prosperous at the end of the verse. And then you'll have good success. The Lord said the delivered people would prosper if they follow the book. And brethren, if you've been washed in the blood, let me see your hands. Right? For me? Almost 24 years ago, I took the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross 2,000 years ago. And by faith, I took it. I said, Lord, I want that to be my Savior. I want that to be my payment. I want my sins to be washed by that sacrifice. God said, you're in. You know what he had to do now? He said, then he gave me a book. And he said, learn that book. Get some stuff out of that book. So when you go out there, you can get all I've got for you now. And that inheritance I'm laying up for you. Go to 2 Timothy 2, just one more verse. 2 Timothy 2. 
2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2, verse number 3. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. God's already talking to a Christian now. He's already talking to Timothy. He's already been saved way back in the book of Acts. He got saved. And in 2 Timothy 2, 3, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth, because it's a fight, brethren. Fight the good fight of faith. Didn't say it was going to be easy. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Just like Joshua. Just like the armies of Israel that came out of Egypt. They came out as armies, the Bible says, because they were ready to fight. God wanted them to fight and go get that inheritance that they had laid up. And in verse 5 says, and that's the call on your brother, and that's the call on your sister. Are there no foes for me to fight? Must I not stave the flood? Right? you got to fight the good fight of faith. And then he says in verse 5, And if a man also strive for masteries, if you'll take up that banner and say, Lord, I want to get all you've got for me. Now, if that's not you, have a nice day. I'll see you next week. Keep coming. God bless you. Enjoy the picnic. But if there's somebody here under the sound of my voice says, you know what? I've been forgiven much. I'm a rascal. And the sinless son of God would get beaten like that and whipped like that and go to hell and back for me like that. You know what? I want all he has for me. If that's you, then I'm talking to you. If that's not you, God bless you. I'll shake your hand. I'll smile. Have a nice day. Come back next week. I love you too. You love me. We're one happy family. That's great. That's fantastic. I'm not telling anybody to leave, but I'm aiming, folks, for the people that want all God has for them. That one or two or three or four or five or how many ever just say, God, you did that for me. You've got that laid up for me. You can do that with me. I want to know what you've got for me, God. If that's you, if you hear the call and God says, you know, like that old poster, the U.S. Army wants you. If you could see the Holy Spirit jump out of that book right now and say, I want you and I want you and I want you. If you could see that right now and you answer the call and you want those masteries, he says, and if a man also strive for masteries, if you want all that God has for you, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. You want all God has for you? You want that full reward? You want that crown to cast at his feet? Revelation 4, you know how you get it? If you want to fight for that crown, you got to do it lawfully. You got to do it according to God's law, according to God's words. That's the battle plan. That's the strategy book. That's the code. Listen, I said this, I think, a month or so ago. I got a nice neighbor. He built this structure on his property. You know what the, all my Jersey friends I've learned very quickly. You know what the Jersey Township wanted to do. They almost threatened to have him tear it down. You know why? Because it wasn't according to code. And brethren, I'm telling you, when you lose the Bible, you risk losing what you're building and investing in your life down here since you've been saved. You might come to that judgment seat of Christ and see all your labor and all your effort and all your heartache and all your struggle and all your striving was in vain because it wasn't lawful. It wasn't according to the word of God, the battle plan, the book of the law that would make you prosperous. Now listen, don't take me the wrong way prodigal son. We always, we love that parable, the prodigal son, 
runs away from his father, comes back. Listen, the prodigal son will always be welcomed by the father. He'll always be treated like a son because he is a son. Even the things he did, he turned, he came back, praise the Lord, he made merry. Listen, if you're saved, yes, the streets of gold are yours, the book of life, your name is there. I get it, it's all there. But please don't misunderstand that if you stay prodigal, like that prodigal son, the prodigal son lost his inheritance. He wasted it all. He spent it all. Was he welcomed as a son? Yes. Did he have a place in the father's house? Yes. But he lost some things. He didn't have the success that he could have had if he had just stayed with his father and stayed with the book and stayed with his word. So I know that puts a hush, makes some of you, makes your stomach turn a little bit, makes your knees a little weak. I'm not trying to like scare the hell out of you, but I am trying to scare the hell out of you. I'm just trying to say, don't go out there, folks. Don't close the book. Don't close it for him. Don't close it for her. Don't close it for that. Don't close it for anything, because when you do, you just signed a death toll on your godly success. And I don't have any joy in saying that. But that is the facts of the book. I can't look. I could sit here and just say, you're okay. I'm okay. Hey, and we're just, everybody's great and you're great. But I can't do that. God said, I gave you my words. Give them warning from me. That's in the Bible. Ezekiel 33, I believe, or chapter 3. Right? I'm warning you and cautioning you. Are you willing to lose all God has for you? For that what? That that moment, that thing, that little toy that you're just like, mine, 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 mine. God's like, I, God's like got the, the EV Hummer behind him, you know, like all chrome wheels and everything. And you got this little matchbox car with rusted spokes. And you're like, look at this. It's mine, mine, mine. God's like, if you would just put that down, you could roll out in that thing. That would be, be a nice ride. No, it's mine. You see how crazy it sounds? All that the Father has for you. I don't want you to lose it, folks. Don't lose all God has for you. Stay in the book. Stay in the book. Stay in the book. Finish with me where we started. Finish in 2 Kings 22. I just want to finish where we started. 2 Kings 22. Oh, it breaks my heart when I see somebody throw the Bible overboard. It breaks my heart when I start seeing myself throw the Bible overboard. Just not loving it like I used to. Not seeking it like I used to. Not clinging to it like I used to. Let's not leave our first love. Because there's a lot of things you lose, man. 2 Kings 22, 8, the beginning of the verse. And Hilkiah the priest, high priest, said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Listen, man. You say, why is he preaching this? Because if Israel could lose the book of the law, you and I can lose the Bible. There's people not sitting here today that sat here in the past that make you wonder, right? And you go, what happened? Well, probably somewhere this book got closed. Maybe spiritually in their heart just closed off to something it said or a truth it had. I don't know. I can't speak for anybody's heart but mine. I know in my heart when I start dropping out of things it's because somewhere I closed myself off to what this Bible had to say. Hey, Romans chapter 3 verse 2 says, unto them were committed the oracles of God. God gave Israel his word, and they lost it. And if you don't heed God's admonition, you can lose the Bible in your life. If the nation God gave it to could lose it, guess what? You sure can lose it. 
So what do you do when you find it? I'll give you these two verses here, right in the passage. What do you do when you find, anybody want to find God's word again? (laughs) Anybody want to make it important first? Bible, church, right? You want to make the Bible first? What do you do? How can you repair the breaches? If you see there's been some breaches or some breakdowns, how do you fix it? Two quick things right in the passage. Right after they find it, you know what they do first? Verse 8, finish the verse. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. Look at verse 10. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. You say, how do I find the word of God again? How do I repair the breaches in my life? The things that have been broken when I close the Bible. Read it! (laughs) Open the Bible and read it! You say, why'd you have to yell? Because we're stunned! It's not brain surgery or rocket science. Read the book. I give a test in class, pop quiz on Macbeth. Who did Macbeth kill? McDonald's? No. Read the book. You didn't read the book. You don't know the answers. Read the book. Some of you think that wasn't the right answer, right? Read the book. The first thing you got to do is find out what God says about eternity, marriage, family, life, your life now that you're saved. What does God say? Read it every day. Read it. I didn't say how much, but read enough to give you some food. You stuff your face every day. Stuff your heart every day. No read, no feed. Give yourself that mantra. No read, no feed. I'm not going to eat if I don't read my Bible today. I dare you. I double dare you. And then look, verse 11. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Elkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbar the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the scribe and Azahiah a servant of the king saying, go ye, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found for great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. You know what you do? Second, first you read it and then respond to it. I don't know what to do with the parts I don't understand. But when you do understand something, respond to it. God's talking to you. And when God speaks, listen, man, God is expecting a response. Right, moms and dads? Have you ever told Johnny or Susie? All the Johnny and Susies, I'm sorry. But if I told Johnny or Susie, hey, do this, and they just walk away and don't answer you, Mm, mm. right uh, there's too much Italian there's too much Sicilian blood flowing through me to combat the Holy Spirit you know you tell somebody hey Stephen do this and they turn their head like you didn't speak Mm, mm. that just goes right through you doesn't it and God says hey I'm talking to you and sometimes we're just like you don't think God's like "Mm, mm." (laughs) pay attention respond He expects a response. What's the response? Verse 11. When you realize you've done wrong, repent. Right? Josiah hears this stuff and he goes, oh my goodness, he rents his clothes. Please don't tear your jeans right now. But they would rend their garments, right? They would rend it to show how broken their heart was. And if you've seen you're doing something wrong, turn around and turn to God. Don't keep doing the same dumb thing. That's insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That's insane. Definition. Repent. You know what, number two? You know what he does in verse 13? He inquires of God. When you're doing something wrong, repent. 
And then make your request unto God. Pray about it. Say, Lord, what does this mean for me? What do I do next? What does my future hold? You read it first. You respond to it second. And that's how you repair the breach. That's how you get the thing back in order. I hope you do that today. I, I can't take a show of hands and write names down, but I hope you do that. Because when you lose the Bible in your life, my dear brother and sister, you lose everything. Everything. Let's stand for prayer. Let's stand up, please.